Hello and welcome to Ag PhD Radio, broadcasting from the Morton studio today. I'm Darren Hefty. We're going to be talking about visual nutrient deficiencies in corn. But of course, there that's a very broad topic. When you think, okay, here's what it looks like when you're short of this in corn. That's one part of this. But what are we going to do to fix that? How do we get away from it? And how much yield have we lost already if we're seeing something like that in our crop? Uh, we'll also be taking your calls and agronomic questions throughout the day at 844-44-AG-PHD. You can email us, radio at agphd.com. You can just sit back and listen as well if you're enjoying the conversation. Got my brother Brian on here as well. When we think about these visual nutrient deficiencies, Brian, I think the first one that I saw that I really knew was different was potassium deficiency. I remember the field. I remember walking along, looking at uh, some different corn hybrids we had on that field, and I saw, oh my goodness, this is different. There's brown happening or yellow happening in the outside edges of the lower leaves. That's potassium deficiency. I'd never seen that before on our farm. We were putting manure out there. Dad thought he was putting lots of fertility out there, and it was a field that that uh, our dad had cut back on fertility a little bit, and boy, it didn't take long to see it. Well, I think when you saw, first saw it, he hadn't been cutting back on fertility yet, but anyway, the whole thing is a lot of people unfortunately believe they're putting enough stuff out there but they aren't necessarily doing it because if you just put out what you you say, oh, the crop needs this. I look at the egg PhD fertilizer removal app. It says I need 100 pounds of whatever. I put on 100 pounds. Okay, that's not enough in some cases. And here's what I mean by that. When you have an imbalance in your soil, there's too much of one other thing, then even putting on the normal amount of something, it's not going to be enough. It's going to get tied up. It's not enough in ratio. Not enough is going to get into the plant. It's not going to get properly utilized. So that's where we talk about, okay, especially in these heavy soils, you got to look at the overall balance of stuff. Now, if you've got sand, it's pretty easy because your, your sand typically isn't going to hold lots of anything. So it's easy to fix the imbalances. But when it's heavy soil, in some cases, it takes hundreds and hundreds of pounds of something and maybe even thousands of pounds, like in the case of calcium, to fix the imbalance. So that's really important. The other big thing, as soon as I heard, okay, or at least I remember, today we're talking about these visual nutrient deficiencies. What that signals to me is um, we had a problem way before we actually saw the problem. By the time you see a visual nutrient deficiency, you've already lost a crazy amount of yield. So you got to get it addressed in advance of that, and that's where soil testing comes in so handy. It is really important, and you do have to be on the front side. And I will agree with you that in a very light, low organic matter, low CEC soil, you can turn things around pretty quick, but you can also get out of balance really quick and have problems really fast. So you got to be really on your toes in those situations. Now, the fix is going to be a little more expensive in the heavier ground, no doubt about that, but you're right. If you aren't pulling soil tests, and if you don't know what to do with the soil tests, it's going to be hard to get around that. It's amazing to me with, with soil testing out there. And we didn't grow up, Brian, knowing how to do this. We didn't just naturally know how to read. 
it took a little bit of time and a little bit of work. And now it's something that we do all the time and we see how much more money it makes our farm. I was just having a conversation with an agronomist today saying, how do we get the word out to guys that say, okay, I know I need to do something. I know I need to change. I know I need to learn how to read my soil test, but it's just intimidating and scary up front. Well, yeah. Is it just force them to look at their fertilizer bill this year? A big, well, the big thing is I would say just try something on a small scale because if you don't do anything different on your farm, then how can you expect any different results? And you look at what some of the yields people are able to pull off, and I just look at the total dollars that all of us have at stake this year with the way commodity prices are. I want to change for the better, but you're not going to know that unless you do something different, soil testing is where it starts. I'd also say, if you're gonna do this, do, do small grids or zones, at least on one field, and just try that and then learn from there. And if you have questions on your soil test, just send them in and we'll help you with that. Yeah, don't be afraid to ask questions. And you know, here there are so many things that, I, I was just listening to uh, a discussion this week about talking about money, talking about finances, which is a, another big topic for Ag PhD Radio at some point, just talking through your, your farm succession plan and, and these types of things. But when you think about fertility, this is another one, that we've gotta be open to talking about this and we can't worry about, hey, uh, I, I feel like I should know all this stuff and I don't, and I don't want to look, uh, you know, dumb or something like that, man, uh, there aren't very many people out there that totally get this thing and everybody's still learning. I mean, we're still learning on this too. And that's why we talk about it a lot to talk about, Hey, here's where we've fallen short in the past. Here's what we're doing to address it. And Hey, here's new things that we're learning that, Oh, didn't realize that little tweak to it could make us some more money too. So we're talking about it all the time. I think that's, what's helping us get better. Yeah. And you try a few things on your farm and then you learn from there. You see what works, you see what doesn't work and, and go from there. But it, it, again, I, just, I guess I just want you to think about as we start the show today, how many dollars you have at stake. And if you can work on that fertility program and, and get that improved, you're going to make a lot more money. And just think too about how many dollars you're investing in fertilizer now. Fertilizer is at an all-time high price probably not coming down a whole lot next year in part because of the Russia Ukraine thing. So we've got to all get smarter on how we use fertility, but when we do, it can be very rewarding. Now we're going to talk about nutrient deficiencies in corn, visual nutrient deficiencies, what you should be looking at in your crop. And we'll talk through how to address those things on your farm as well. Like Brandon mentioned, make sure you're getting good soil test pulled. That's one part of this. But then just understanding, okay, what does that mean? When I see 10 parts per million, what does that really mean? How much is really going to be available for my crop? And then utilizing free tools like the Ag PhD Fertilizer Removal App. It's a free download for your smartphone or your tablet. It doesn't cost anything to use. Completely free. You can figure out what crop you're raising, what your yield goal is, and exactly how many nutrients you need out there. And when you put two and two together with what I have on my soil test, what I, what I need for this crop, you can put together the best fertility program. So hopefully you don't have to see nutrient deficiencies in your crop. Stay tuned. We'll be right back. What does it really mean to provide the best crop nutrition? 
with AgroLiquid, it means getting a one-of-a-kind approach, one that caters to your specific agronomic needs. You're getting experts who will work with you to create a program unique to your operation, all while accounting for the quality of your soil and the products you're already using. It's not just a product. It's peace of mind, knowing we've thought of everything. That's the AgroLiquid way. Apply less. Expect more. Find a retailer at agroliquid.com. It's planting season. Race against the clock season. Mistakes can't happen season. And no one helps you face it all like John Deere. Putting technology in your hands that gets you in and out of the field faster. That makes your spacing and depth more accurate. And that gives you the confidence that this season will be your best season. See what you have to gain at johndeere.com slash gainground. Farmers across the country are raving about the Germinator closing system from Farm Shop MFG. Paul from New York says, My planter has never worked so well on soybeans. I'll definitely be using the Germinator wheels again and will be telling everyone I know. For more success stories from farmers everywhere and to order a set for your planter this spring, visit farmshopmfg.com. When you're up in your sprayer, remember to look ahead into the future. Because if you've made the smart decision to plant Enlist E3 soybeans, now's the time to protect them with Enlist herbicides. The superior tank mix flexibility easily allows multiple sites of action and keeps your weed control programs effective beyond just this season. Visit Enlist.com to see how a better weed control system can help fight resistance on your fields today and tomorrow. Welcome back. You're listening to Ag PhD Radio, broadcasting from the Morton studio today, talking about visual nutrient deficiencies in corn. And I know if you're in the north, you're like, wait a minute, my corn's still in the bag or still in the box. It's not even in the ground yet. Perfect. We're talking about how to avoid having these problems out in your field. Now, to some of our listeners, you may be in the situation where you say, oh, goodness, I've already got corn. It's already this big. All right. Well, we'll give you some some indications on what you should be watching for out there. And here's the thing. Some of these nutrient deficiencies look fairly similar, so it can be a little tricky. That's why I want to talk through it today. Uh, let's head to the phone lines first. We get our friend Jim in South Dakota on right now. Jim, how are you doing? Hey, good, guys. How are you? Pretty good. Pretty good. I understand you want to test some corn. Yes, sir. I've got some uh, two, three-year-old corn, and uh, I should. And I asked you kind of about this a couple of weeks ago, and I was driving the car, and I probably glad I didn't try and write it down the car. And <laughs> okay, just, let's just be clear here, Jim. You are stopped. You're sitting. You're safe. I'm at the kitchen table. Yes, <laughs> okay, sir. perfect, perfect. Oh, okay, so uh, a couple local places where you could test seed in for uh, for a cold germ score or, or whatever other tests you want to run. Uh, Sodak Labs in Brookings would be one. Uh, that SGS in Brookings would be another one. SG is in gold. S? Yep. Yep. Correct. All right. And I, I thought I was thinking Lakota, but soda. And it was something short. For, okay, Sodak Labs or SGS. Thank you very much. You bet. And they're both in Brookings. So, yep. uh, and they do. I think last week I had seventy-seven degrees is where they test that at. And the warm germ. Yep. Yep. And the mm-hmm. cold germ would be fifty. 
Yep. You can talk to them about that and see, you know, what they do and how they do it and so forth. And, and honestly, it's just a short drive up the road for you too. You could, could head up and just visit with them and see, okay, show me what you're doing in the lab. Uh, I'm not sure if they're doing tours or not, but you you can ask. Stop by Baltic, buy some chemicals on the way back. There you go. Stop by Baltic, give Brian a hard time. (laughs) I wouldn't do that. No, I don't think he likes that. I try, I try not to too much. He's, <laughs> a little mad at me, I noticed. So. All right. Mr. All right. Well, thanks, Patience. Jim. Yvette, hopefully, we'll right. be out in the yeah. field planting that seed before too long. Yeah, it's, I better hurry on this getting this done. Thank you. Bye. You bet. Let's see it. Uh, let's head out to Maine. We've got Alan Perry with us right now with the Farm Technologies Network. Alan, uh, you're kind of a go to guy for us when we talk about nutrients. We're going to talk about the downside of what if you don't get enough nutrients out there today. Thanks for joining us. Okay. All right, so nutrient deficiencies. Now, we were talking a little bit about corn here today, but I, I just think about all the different crops you end up looking at. Are, are there a lot of the same principles and, and same things that you're kind of looking at from one crop to the next when it comes to nutrient deficiencies? Uh, yeah, and I think uh, there's, a, there's a couple of generic comments I'll make, and then you can get more specific if you'd like. Uh, one is keep in mind your crop may even though it doesn't have visible symptoms of deficiency, may not have exactly the right amounts of minerals that it needs for the best crop. So use your soil test, leaf test, sap test, that kind of thing, and get somebody who knows how to read them to help you so you can go look for those what we call hidden hungers. Yes, absolutely. Um, after that, though, um, if, if we take a soil test and it shows magnesium deficiency, copper deficiency, uh, maybe potassium deficiency on the soil test, we're going to be sensitive to that, especially if we have a crop history there, uh, and we'll go look for that because that's, we know already that we're a little weak in those areas. If you go into a new place with a new crop, you may have to study a little bit to kind of get used to what those deficiencies might look like. Um, copper deficiency in corn might be that the corn stalk's not round. It's more oval shaped, for example. Uh, but on a wheat crop, that's not going to work. You're going to have to look at the top of the plant and see the twisted leaves that are up at the top. Once you understand what those symptoms look like, not so bad. And your university should be able to give you some great pictures of your area and whatever crop and deficiency you want. We actually created an app as well called the Nutrient Deficiencies app. Free download, free to use. You can see a whole bunch of different crops. Our friends at AgriLiquid helped us put that together. And, yeah, it at least gets you started. There there may be a few nutrients on there and a few crops that we don't have, but we've got a pretty broad list. So that's that's good, just kind of understanding what it's going to look, look like. Now, you mentioned the soil test. Now, if the soil test is short, Shame on us for not addressing it with our fertility program. How about tissue tests, sap tests? Do you find those to be fairly accurate? If you're careful, if you understand what the numbers mean, keep in mind that for some labs, uh, those numbers are pretty old, developed years and years ago with different varieties and different markets and different yield goals. And so some of those numbers aren't exactly as sharp as I wish. But you can get used to reading them. Um, and so we, we're a little careful with that. We like the SAP testing program that's fairly new, comes out of Holland. Um, that gives us a look at both old leaves and young leaves and matches our soil test. So we like that one. 
Okay. Interesting. All right. How about this? We we run into times during the growing season where it's just cloudy all the time for a couple of weeks, or it's cold for a, a week or two. And sometimes we see that crop just look a little, I don't know if I'd say yellow, but maybe a more of a pale green. Is that a nutrient problem? Is that something that we need to worry about, or can we do anything about that? Uh can you do anything about it? Yes, almost always, because we hardly ever get the fertility perfect on a crop, not knowing exactly what the weather is going to do for us. Um, the first thing I would look at is what stage of growth is the crop at? How young is it? The younger it is, the easier it is to make a correction. Um, in terms of yellow color, keep in mind that nitrogen is not the only thing that factors into that. Sulfur and magnesium are the more common deficiencies that would contribute to that. And if it's going to be cloudy, you want those chloroplasts to be working at, at 100% their capacity. If you're deficient in sulfur or magnesium, you're going to shut some of those down and you're going to suffer twice as bad. Okay. Uh, one of the things I think, Alan, it, that's really important to understand is just mobile versus immobile nutrients. And we think about soil mobility a lot, but I think about mobility inside the plant in those building blocks a lot of times just don't move around. And so we see them on lower leaves on the crop. But I see so many guys say, well, I think I'm just dry. I think that's an effect of dry. Do you get that same kind of confusion where you're at in Maine, or is that more of a corn belt kind of problem? Uh, no, we can we can get that. The, the, the farms, when they're a little bit confused or don't have the answer they wish for, oftentimes the weather can be the, the issue that bails them out. It's always the weather's fault. Um, the better you get the fertility, the less the weather will bother you. Uh, but, yes, if you're in doubt whether it's dry or not, uh, if you have a couple of foliar sprays put together ahead of time, uh, at least in terms of recipe, uh, try them. Uh, you're not for five or six dollars. If you get a crop response, it's not all water. All right. So you, you mentioned we don't always get that fertility program just perfect, uh, but I know you're working towards doing that. And I know you've got a lot of customers. You get a lot of people that talk to you from all over and you're a super busy guy. What are some of the things that we're missing when we look at those soil tests? Is it just that we don't want to spend the money or are there some extra things that we're not paying enough attention to? Um, I think that it's it's not so much the money. I mean, money will be part of the conversation, certainly. Uh, you don't want to spend $10 to make five. That's just good business. But I think the places that where we get in trouble is um, trace minerals. Um, and I'm going to throw sulfur in there with it. It's not a trace mineral per se. But, but sulfur, um, magnesium, and the trace minerals, copper, zinc, and manganese. If you think you're going to be dry, zinc is your friend. You got to get that right. Um, the copper, the manganese make crop quality where you might get paid a little better uh, for the crop you make. Those are all important ways to add value. And I think a lot of growers are still a little uncertain about how to apply and how much to apply and how to measure that. So we do a lot of work on the trace mineral side. Yeah, there's just a lot to learn, and you just need to be. My dad always talked to, to Brian and me about this. You have to be a lifelong learner. That's the most important thing. Uh, here is somebody that we've got as our guest, Alan Perry, who definitely is a lifelong learner. Uh, Alan, thank you so much. We really appreciate your time. Thanks for being on today and sharing a little bit of your knowledge. Anytime. Thanks. 
talking about nutrient deficiencies in corn, what you should watch for out in your fields, and how you can avoid having these problems and losing yield on your farm. We'll also be taking your calls and questions at 844-44-AG-PHD, and we'll be right back. If you've ever wondered how the Farmall got its name, here's an abbreviated list of the jobs the Case IH Farmall can do. Baling, cutting hay, feeding, hauling, loading, pulling, raking, cleaning barn, mixing feed, fertilizing, mowing, chopping, seeding, clearing, irrigating, furrowing, cultivating, hitching, digging, emergency tow, harrowing, hoisting, leading parades, excavating, grading. <sighs> Let's make it simple. This tractor does it all. So no matter what you're doing, can do comes in red. Farmall. Learn more at caseih.com farmall. What do you think of when you hear Palmer Amaranth or Water Hemp? If you use fierce herbicide in your soybean fields, you don't have to think about them at all. With two effective modes of action and up to eight weeks of residual control, Fierce takes on even the toughest weeds like water hemp and Palmer Amaranth. Take control of your soybean fields and get incentives from Bayer Plus Rewards when you choose the power of Fierce Herbicide. Talk to your local retailer today to put Fierce to work in your fields. Always read and follow label directions. Come to the Ag PhD Scouting and Scholarships event this summer. Here at Ag PhD, we're always looking for ways to support and encourage folks entering the ag industry. That's why we're devoting a full day, Saturday, June 25th, to the free Ag PhD Scouting and Scholarships event. Though this day is geared towards high school and college students as well as young farmers, anyone with a desire to learn more about agronomy is more than welcome. Our hands-on sessions in the field will include a comprehensive guide to scouting, ways to improve soil and crop health, the role of natural microbes in farming, and how to best collect and manage on-farm data. Plus, we're giving away tens of thousands of dollars in scholarships to eligible attendees. So whether you're a college student or just want some good agronomy information, this is one event you won't want to miss. It's the Ag PhD Scouting and Scholarships Day, Saturday, June 25th on the Hefty Farm near Baltic, South Dakota. Learn more and register at agphd.com. It's smart to make the right agronomic choices, and it's even smarter to get rewarded for them. With the Bayer Plus Rewards Program, you earn cash back on seed, herbicides, and other eligible products. And it keeps getting smarter, because now you can earn an additional 10% bonus when you send your redemption check to your retailer. To learn more, contact your retailer today. Protect your yields and get the most from your land with Bayer Plus Rewards. Visit MyBayerPlus.com and see program terms and conditions for full details. Protect your empire. Rule your fields with dual modes of action. Low-use rate Authority Supreme Herbicide from FMC combines Group 14 and Group 15 modes of action for pre-plant and pre-emergence control of key broadleaf weeds and grasses. A preventative application keeps your fields clean when it matters most to crop productivity. Visit your FMC retailer or ag.fmc.com to learn more. Always read and follow all label directions. listening to Ag PhD Radio, broadcasting from the Morton studio today, talking about visual nutrient deficiencies. And we would talk about corn, but there are a lot of different crops that we can discuss. We're going to have our phone lines open throughout the show at 844-44-AG-PHD. If you'd like to talk about this topic or anything else going on on your farm, and you can always email us radio at agphd.com. Real happy to have Glenn Harris on with us right now, who's an extension agronomist down at the University of Georgia. Glenn, thanks for joining us. 
Oh, you're welcome. Glad to be back. All right. So for, for us, we were kind of joking. Yeah, we're talking about visual nutrient deficiencies. And, and let's just take corn, for example. Our corn's still in the bag or in the box, hasn't even gone in the ground yet. You probably got some crop that's up down there. What what stuff look like? And, and do you think you're getting off to a good start this year? Well, um, we do have some corn that's up. My, my, I planted some for research last Monday, and it's just coming out of the ground uh, today good. Um, we had some guys in the very southwest corner of Georgia plant, and we actually had a little cold snap, and we had some frost damage. Um, but as you know, the growing point is below ground, but um, I think we might have still had to replant some of that. So we got got off to a little rough start there. Um, we we always we usually get a cold snap around Easter, and Easter's late this year, so um, it kind of kind of saw that one coming a little bit, but. But overall, if you didn't get frosted, uh, we're, we're kind of off and running. Yeah, I was thinking Easter was late because I've seen Easter candy at the stores, like, seemingly for two months. So I'm like, man, when is Easter this year? It's it, You're right. It is absolutely late this year. So we'll, we'll see. You know, a lot of those rules of thumb, there's yeah. a reason that they got started. That's for sure. Now, yeah, when it, when it comes true. to... When it comes to the nutrients, Brian, my brother was talking about this earlier, and he said, okay, so for guys with lighter soils, it's a whole different thing. It's uh, maybe easier to turn things around quickly, but it can also go the other way on you really fast, too. What do you see as you head across the state of Georgia? Is it mostly light soils? Do you have some heavier soils in some areas? And then how, how widely different are some of these nutrient recommendations you're making? Yeah, it's it's mostly light light soils we're uh what they call ultra soils we're very sandy some of our soils are 90 95 percent sand um you know all in the coastal plain here um into florida south alabama carolinas etc so uh very sandy and you're right these 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 uh uh soils are kind of a double-edged sword they 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 um they're not they're not buffered real well so uh they show they'll show up deficiencies but you can Turn them around. If, if you catch certain things early, um, if you catch, if you, if you wait too long, though, some of these things are hard, hard to fix. Okay. So we're talking about nutrient deficiencies. And I think about some of these big building blocks like N, P, and K that don't move around in plants when they, they, or I'm sorry, they do move around in plants. So if we run short uh, in, you know, some at some growth stage, it's going to start robbing them out of these lower leaves. When you're looking at things like N, P, and K, can you catch those in season and still address them? Yeah, probably in order, um, P, K, then N. Because um, believe it or not, we'll recommend nitrogen all the way up to tassel. And some of our uh, growers can put it out through our center pivot irrigation, um, and they'll put nitrogen out through the pivots up to tassel. Uh, K, I like it out earlier than that. I want it out probably by V6 or so, by side dressing time. And phosphorus is important to early seedling root root growth. So you want that one out at planting. So, you know, it, all these nutrients are different, and, and the timing can be different. The needs, you know, what they do in the plants different, obviously. So um, we have a tendency to lump them all together, um, but, but you really got to look at each one separately. How does this compare when you're looking at cotton or you're looking at soybeans? Uh, does, it, does it change a lot for you or with those types of soils? Is it kind of the same story? you got to have stuff out there right away. Yeah, well, what's interesting is, and, and I've been working with um, cotton, corn, soybeans, and peanuts here in, in Tifton for, for 28 years now. And, um, you know, they all, all plants have the same essential nutrient list, right? 16 or 18, whatever you want to argue about. 
but um they're, they're all a little different you know and and uh and the deficiencies they'll show early on are different so um you know corn uh phosphorus because our soils even though we're in the south we plant fairly early can be cool we can get some phosphorus deficiency we get a lot of sulfur deficiency early on um you know we don't see those two that much with cotton by the time we plant cotton the soils have warmed up and it's just not as big of an issue um so and and, and peanuts fixed nitrogen good scavengers of p and k we usually don't have a lot of early problems with those and soybeans of course you know potassium is the, the big issue on on soybeans um they fix nitrogen but they still need potash so you, you got to look at them all separately hey you mentioned that potash and that's one that uh, i was mentioning just as we started our show that I, I had seen nitrogen deficiency before and we had raised small grains and and corn for years and sometimes we wouldn't get things spread just evenly or whatnot and we'd see some issues with nitrogen but but when we started seeing some potassium deficiency in areas, we realized our program just wasn't keeping up with our yields that were going up. Do you find this being a, a challenge for you too, as yields are going up, fertility programs not keeping up? Um, yeah, I mean, and there's a lot of talk about fertilizing based on removal. Because fertilizer prices are up this year, a lot of people are saying, I just want to put back what I'm going to take out. But that's not always the best way to look at it. You really need to look at the needs of the crop. Um, cause you know, uh, corn's going to need probably twice as much potash as cotton will. Um, so, you know, good soil testing fertilize for, we have yield goal concept. We fertilize NP and K by yield goal for corn and cotton. So I can, and we field tested these recently. So I can pretty much tell you, you know, whatever yield goal you're shooting for on cotton or corn, how much potash you really need to put out. And, uh, and yeah, if you get behind, you should see it show up in your soil samples though. If you're not putting enough out there, because our soils don't hold uh, a lot of potassium like like the Midwest soils do, um, we have very little uh, cation exchange capacity, and uh, we just don't hold potash as good as, as you do. How about phosphorus? How well does that hang in there? I know that one here, phos doesn't move at all for us, but uh, yeah. in in your lighter sander, sandier soils, I'm guessing it moves some. But is it one that you're really worried about loss? That, it, it, and I was just in this conversation earlier today with a county agent, um, you know, NP and K, um, if I had to put them in order, it'd be NK and P on things like corn and cotton. Um, we, we, our phosphorus levels are pretty good. We have a lot of chicken litter fertilizer. They're pretty good. So that's probably the one I'm least concerned with. Um, so, and, and it is, and one of the reasons is, like you said, it's immobile, so it builds up. So as long as you've been using it, you've got decent levels. And now you can kind of withdraw on that investment a little bit this year. Um, you know, we wouldn't want to do that forever. Um, but when, when times get tough, you do, you know, you do tough things. So, um, but, but if I'm going to skimp on anything on cotton or corn this year, I hate to say it, but it'd be phosphorus. Um, I'd rather put your money in and having a good rate of NK on those two crops um, at, at the expense of maybe cutting back a little on my phosphorus. Gotcha. Gotcha. Yeah, I know it. It's uh, it's tough sometimes. I, I do look at, and I find the guys that are worried about it this year, I, I just say, man, I look at that crop price. I think about how much you could make. I still think there's a return on investment there, and it's it might be worse next year on these prices. So it's, at some point, you got to pay the piper. But uh, there's a false sense of security here around chicken litter. There, there's guys that say, oh, I'm good. I got I got access to chicken litter. I'm going to be fine. What nutrients are they going to run short if they're using chicken litter as the base of their fertility program? Probably N and K. 
um, and first K, probably not phosphorus again, because uh, I really like chicken litter used on cotton and corn down here. Uh, it's like a pre-plant fertilizer. Uh, two tons per acre usually gives you enough nitrogen to get started. Good shot of P and K. So you you really don't want to try to do it all with litter because the nitrogen, there's just not going to be enough available and available at the right time. So it's really like a pre-plant fertilizer and, and, and it gives you enough nitrogen to get started and, and you come back. And if you try to do it all with litter, you're probably going to come up short on nitrogen. Yeah, it's, I know everybody's looking at every way they could possibly keep that expense down this year. And I, oh, yeah. I get it. We farm too. And it's, yep. it's a big check yep. after, right? No doubt about it. But we have to keep in mind every source of fertility that we got out there and, and utilize all of them to the best. Uh, we're talking with Glenn Harris here down at University of Georgia. Glenn, thank you so much. Really appreciate all the info today. Good luck to you heading into the spring. All right. Thank you. Good to be with you talking about visual nutrient deficiencies in corn and we kind of addressed a lot of the fertility topics there of hey we got to hit these nutrients early in the season especially when it's cool it's tough to get them in we'll talk about more as we go on through the season and take your calls and questions coming up right after this the value of your farm building is in its ability to protect what's stored inside that's why Morton Buildings ensures that every machine storage and insulated workshop we build will provide superior strength and durability. As a 100% employee-owned company, we're all committed to being the industry leader with a focus on innovation, service, quality, and most importantly, customer satisfaction. To get started on your next project, please visit mortonbuildings.com. What's new from New Farm? Longbow EC Herbicide, the latest in our portfolio of versatile weed management tools, gives you another Carfentrazone option, taking aim at more than 60 broadleaf weed species. And did we mention economical? Longbow EC's low use rate makes it a flexible tank mix partner with most burned down non-selective herbicides. Ask your dealer for Longbow EC, available for fall. Farmers everywhere are discovering the benefits of the Germinator closing system from Farm Shop MFG. Dick from Iowa says, In every case, our germination rate and stand was better than expected. When digging behind the planter, we always found the total destruction of the furrow sidewall and ideal seed-to-soil contact. See more farmer stories and order your germinators for spring delivery today at farmshopmfg.com. Be sure to attend the 2022 Ag PhD Field Day. At this year's Ag PhD Field Day, we'll have way more equipment and equipment demonstrations than we've ever had before. We've got a lot of new technologies we'll put into our research plots on site, and we'll have great family entertainment, including a kid's area, music, fantastic guest speakers, and free food and drinks all throughout the day. Please go to agphd.com to learn more, and don't forget to join us on Thursday, July 28th for the free Ag PhD Field Day. Whether or not, relentless control is what you get with Anthem Max Herbicide from FMC. Protect your season from tough broadleaf weeds and grasses with dual modes of action and overlapping residuals that also minimize resistance. With an easy-to-tank mix formulation and wide application window, Anthem Max Herbicide is ready when you are. Visit your FMC retailer or ag.fmc.com to learn more. Always read and follow all label directions. What do you think of when you hear Palmer Amaranth or Water Hemp? 
If you use Fierce herbicide in your soybean fields, you don't have to think about them at all. With two effective modes of action and up to eight weeks of residual control, Fierce takes on even the toughest weeds like water hemp and Palmer amaranth. Take control of your soybean fields and get incentives from Bayer Plus Rewards when you choose the power of Fierce herbicide. Talk to your local retailer today to put Fierce to work in your fields. Always read and follow label directions. Back, you're listening to Ag PhD Radio, talking about visual nutrient deficiencies. I don't know, I haven't really gotten into this very much yet, as far as which ones should I be looking for. The first one that I often see in the spring is phosphorus deficiency, and we see kind of a purpling of the plant or, or of a few leaves on the lowest leaves of the plant. And you can see this in other crops. And I thought this was kind of good, what Glenn Harris was saying there. He goes, yep, we definitely see that phosphorus early because it's cool. And when it's cool in the spring, we run short on things because we don't have great uptake. And I think about the other one that that I talk about a lot with ranchers and just farmers that have some pasture is magnesium. And magnesium is one that we can run short of as well. It's the center of the chlorophyll molecule. It's very, very important. But it's really tough to get availability early in the season. And magnesium is one that you should be looking for. And then back to Alan Perry's comment, just because you don't see it on the outside of the plant doesn't mean that you're in good shape for sure. You could still be short. There could be a hidden hunger there. So it's important if you have a question and you say, man, something looks off or I'm just concerned that I might have something off in that field do a plant tissue test or do a sap test. We haven't done a lot of work with sap tests yet at this point, but Alan Perry was saying he, he finds that to be good. It's more expensive, and uh, and there's some limitations there. There aren't a lot of labs that are doing that, but uh, the, the plant tissue test is certainly something over the years we've used, and, and it's been a nice indicator in some cases of, all right, what do we have here that, that is short in our crop, and what do we have that's in pretty good shape? Uh, Brian, I know you're, you're in, uh, not the quietest place in the world, but, uh, do you want to take a couple questions or do you want to make any last comments on the nutrient deficiency topic? Well, I, I guess I just have one more comment because you mentioned SAP or tissue testing. The problem with that is we still don't know everything we need to know at each stage and all that. And let's put it this way. If you tissue test something and your levels say they're okay, that was that one day. It's not predictive at all. So literally tomorrow, things could be bad. Today, they were fine. But we also don't know for sure, is that the right level or is it not the right level for me to be okay? So I just caution you a little bit of putting too much faith in one or two tissue tests or SAP tests. And and I'd also say, if you think, hey, I know I can get more for yield. Well, just try some things, push some stuff, take a look at your soil test, and then just weigh that out later and see see what ends up happening. But right now with the way commodity prices are, we have a lot of dollars at stake. And so if you simply try some stuff, even if it costs some money, so what? It's a small test and then you see. But, you know, fertilizer, sure, it's at an all-time high price but it could still very well pay for you on your farm if you figure out what you do indeed need. All right. We had a 
a question come in. This one is from Jerry, who says, uh, I've, I've got sweet corn and popcorn. You guys talk a lot about corn rootworms. How big an issue is it, and what can I do about it? Uh, well, thanks for the question, Jerry. First of all, corn rootworm can impact sweet corn and popcorn, so you do need to watch out for that. Uh, Capture LFR is one product that's a liquid that is labeled for both of those crops. If you can apply liquid in the furrow, what do you think of Capture, Brian, if you just did a little band right over the top of the row? Uh, it's not going to do it. So, you, I mean, I'm not going to say it's going to be terrible but I'd rather have it down in the furrow if you can. I, personally, I like T-band, so some goes down in and some lays up above. Where you'll, you'll get better cutworm control if you were to lay it on the soil surface, but your rootworm control may be just a little bit subpar if you don't get a lot of rainfall. What I mean by that is the rootworms are going to be feeding down below ground, and if you don't get enough rain to push that capture down, then you're you're still going to have a bunch of rootworms doing their damage. All right, thanks for the the question, Jerry. Yeah, your your time to treat is at planting. That's going to be your best bet. There really right. isn't a rescue once those rootworms are already hatched and and growing. Right. So so do that up front. Uh, get this one from yep. Chris. Uh, I I didn't know much about farming, but I was very interested in your talk about sump pumps lift stations out in fields. Uh, thanks for sharing that. Hey, thanks, Chris. We really appreciate that. And then to go along with today's topic of nutrient deficiencies, do you see nutrient deficiencies that are more common in poorly drained soils? Um, nutrient deficiencies more common in poorly drained soils. I don't know. I, I would say you can have some issues more with nitrogen than anything because you're going to lose a bunch to denitrification. Beyond that, though, you know, I'd say it's almost excess can be a problem. In poorly drained soils, we see lots of sodium, lots of sulfur, and some of these things that normally leach away. All right. Thanks for the question. Uh, had this one come in from Al, and Al's in central North Dakota. He said, I, I had good luck double inoculating my first-time soybean acres with two different sources, uh, in 2021, I had a field that was soybeans for the first time. I had liquid and I had peat inoculant on the seed. But unfortunately, due to drought, it was a tough disaster. In 2022, though, I'm going to go soybeans again. Do you think it would pay to double inoculate this year for the third time now due to last year's drought? My beans were seeded in 30-inch rows. Last year, they will be again this year. Um, I don't know if it will pay or not, but I'd look at it this way. It doesn't cost very much, and then you're kind of on the safe side. What I also often talk to people about that say, hey, I want to double inoculate, it's like, well, you can do that. You could also try single inoculating and adding some nitrogen, too. It's just obviously nitrogen is really expensive this year, so a lot of people don't, don't want to do that. But I would say when our dad first started raising soybeans in South Dakota, not many beans had been raised. He was putting 100 pounds of nitrogen out and gaining 10 bushels. So, you know, I mean, this year, yeah, 100 pounds, that costs $100. So am I really going to do that? No way. But would I consider at least doing a little bit? Yeah, I might think about that. All right, got this from Mr. Green, who's wondering, uh, we need to have a strategic supply of grain in America. I can't believe that we're not doing this now. What are your feelings on that topic? 
I was just looking this up, Brian. U.S. grain storage capacity, uh, the last number that I could find was a couple years ago, 25 billion bushels of grain storage capacity with a little over half of that being on-farm storage. So there, there's more bins here than anywhere in the world that I've traveled. So it right. feels to me like in, in this economy, there is a ton of storage. It's just held privately rather than the government owning it all. Do you see it different than that? Nope. That's that's the way it is. And quite frankly, that's, in my opinion, the way I believe it should be. We don't want the government owning all our stuff and, and doing all these things. Private industry can do it when the financial incentive is there, which it is. So... Yep, I, I, I know there's always going to be some fear when the government isn't in control of things, but let's turn it the other way around. When the government's in control of too much things, personally, I think that should create a lot of fear as well. I was just telling somebody this the other day, too. I don't think we really appreciate, now that we see what's happening in Ukraine and, and with Russia and over in China, it's like we're so lucky to have had George Washington as our first president who decided, you know what, rather than be king of the, this great country, I want to just be president, and I'm going to step down and let somebody else run things also. We want a democracy here. We don't want an autocracy. So anyway, I just think we're super fortunate, and I do think, yep, our government's fine, but hey, let's let private industry handle most things. I got some feedback from Scott about our ditch care talk. Uh, He said, what about for wildlife? What about for pollinators especially? Uh, What do you think about just just, uh, putting in native prairie grasses and flowers for the beauty and for wildlife and for pollinators? Well, you know what, Scott? That's a great idea. And we just had a question come in about how we can choose to do whatever we'd like to do on land that we own. Well, that's a great idea. And if you can handle that and on your acres, that's awesome. Uh, I think the challenge with widespread use, and there are some states that put a lot of um, flowering crops and, and pollinator friendly crops into ditches, is controlling weeds. If you can control the weeds in that area, that's that's the tough thing. So if you can do both, that would be ideal. Otherwise, yeah, I see it as, as something that's a, a great option for, for you on your farm. Stay tuned. We'll be right back after this. Introducing the next generation of weed control in wheat, Wide AR Match Herbicide. Uh, I'm sorry, is this a typo? I mean, there's an AR in the middle of Wide Match. Mm-hmm, that's the name. It's called Wide R Match Herbicide. Oh, my bad. From the top. <clears throat> Introducing Wide R Match from Corteva Agriscient. It's not a typo. It's an upgrade. The AR stands for Aralax Active for improved control of the toughest broadleaf weeds and wheat. Talk with your retailer to learn more. Ag PhD has one mission, to give you the knowledge you need to make your farm more successful. That's why every issue of the Ag PhD Insider Magazine features crop fertility and pest management tips, insights into the world's highest yielding farmers, updates and results from our infield research trials, as well as the latest agronomy information from Brian and Darren Hefty. We put it all in one place so you can make your farm more productive and profitable. Subscribe to the Ag PhD Insider at agphdinsider.com. Do you have a history of white mold or SDS in your bean fields? While you can never predict when disease will occur, using the right seed treatments can reduce your risk of yield loss when it does. Did you know adding heads up to your seed treatment package brings a proven mode of action that primes your beans so they're ready to fight off disease all season long? 
ask your seed dealer to apply Heads Up for protection against both white mold and sudden death syndrome this season. Learn more at headsupst.com. Boost your productivity and profitability with Soil Warrior from Environmental Tillage Systems. Improve fertilizer efficiency and your yield potential in just one strip-till pass. Now that's ROI. Contact us today at SoilWarrior.com. Here at Farm Shop MFG, we keep hearing from folks who've tried our germinators. Deverne in Missouri says, After seeing our harvest results, I'm an enthusiastic supporter of the Farm Shop MFG germinator closing wheel. See what others are saying at farmshopmfg.com. Your schedule can change by the minute, making it hard to stay on top of the latest agronomy information. But at Ag PhD, we have some good news for you. If you miss an episode of Ag PhD TV or radio, you can catch up at agphd.com. With years of valuable content and latest episodes available to stream for free, you can continue building your agronomic knowledge on any schedule. While you're there, don't forget to check for upcoming Ag PhD events and workshops. Watch, listen, and learn at agphd.com. Heat, drought, wind, hail, northern corn leaf blight, gray leaf spot. If your corn is under stress, you are too. Get Veltima fungicide, swift activity, with fast payback an expanded application window. <sighs> Makes life simple, and it's a secure choice with powerful residual for visibly healthier corn. Swift, simple, secure. Veltima fungicide. Call your BASF rep today. Always read and follow label directions. Veltima fungicide is not registered in all states. You're listening to Ag PhD Radio, and our phone lines are open. At 844-44-AG-PHD, if you have any agronomic questions you'd like to discuss, if, or if you'd like to talk about our topic today, which was nutrient deficiencies in corn. Uh, I got some feedback here and a, a picture that is just not pretty. This one came from Dusty, and you can guess what this picture looks like when you hear the title, Wild Hogs. Oh, my goodness. He said the hogs wiped out an, an entire 70-acre field, each row they dug the whole thing up. The corn was in the ground for about nine days. No question today, just another pest that farmers have got to deal with. Man, yeah, this wild hog problem is is pretty nuts. And I've got a friend that, that's got some farm ground down in Texas, and I got out in a couple of fields with him over the last few years here that, that hogs have been into, and it's just Oh, it's terrible. I, I wish people in town and, and in politics understood what a big problem this is because it's certainly something the longer we let it go, the harder it's going to be to get that thing turned around. Sorry to hear that, uh, Dusty, and uh, good luck to you with your next crop. All right, get this one from Levi. He said, I was watching your show on the Ditch Care. It's getting a lot of comments here. And just wanted to say you had a pretty nice original 350 diesel there, guys. Yeah, we had, uh, I think, I'm trying to think there are a couple different older tractors on the show, but at least one for sure. And uh, and Levi noticed that. Hey, thanks, Levi. I really appreciate that. It's kind of, I don't know, some of that stuff's kind of cool to run, to be honest with you. All right, got a comment here. It's from Mitch down in Australia. And he said, first of all, we have finished corn harvest here in Australia. For us, it was a fantastic result 
18 tons per hectare, which would equate to around 300 bushel per acre corn. That's awesome. Wow. Way to go, Mitchell. That's awesome. He said, I'd like to send a bit of credit your way. I, I do have a question, though. Uh, as, as you guys say, do things on an area and test it before going full scale. We decided to try some foliar fertilizer early on this season, V5 through V8. Uh, come harvest, this test area was about 4% drier, but then not only it, it didn't, it didn't, oh, 4% drier, but it didn't pay. It actually hurt our yield. Now we tested two different fertilizers, same result. Uh, they were a shotgun approach to nutrition. Any thoughts as to what may have happened without tests or without maps? Our tissue tests say we might be short in zinc and boron for next season. We'll be putting those on for the first time in a measurable quantity to try to meet those demands. Hey, Mitch, thank you so much. First of all, congratulations. If you knocked out 300 bushel corn, uh, you did a lot of things right. So that's cool. And the other thing is, uh, congratulations on wanting to try to get even better. So for me, it's all about when it comes to nutrition, trying to figure out which nutrients are the yield limiting factors. So what is going to be the first one that's going to fall off? And maybe you've already identified a couple zinc and boron. So I mean, at 300 bushel corn, you're doing a lot right on NP and K. Maybe zinc and boron are the next ones for your farm. I'm not sure. Um, I'm curious too now, back to your foliar feeding, couple thoughts. First of all, I think your timing might be just a little bit late. Now, it, it could be a little bit weather dependent here too, but maybe you move that up. I think about when, when are those key growing stages, and we often hear uh, some of the real successful farmers on our show talking about these specific growing stages where yield can be determined and influenced. And early on, if you're out there in that V2 time for, period before ear shoots are initiated, that's your last shot in my mind to get some of those things in like the micros. So if you can get micros in high uh, supply at the, that time, V2, that would be something I'd take a look at. And then later on, closer to tassel, I like to make sure everything's really good right before we get into that tassel time as well. Obviously, I don't know what the weather's like. I don't know if you've got irrigation or access to unlimited moisture or something like that. But that would be a few of the things that I'm thinking about is just trying to figure out what is the yield limiting factor. If you've got a soil analysis you want us to look through, we'd be more than happy to do it. And then the other thing that I'd make for a comment you're crushing it for yield. Mitch, that, that's fantastic. Awesome, awesome, awesome. So you got a little bit of profit to work with. What I would suggest is take even a small area and start doing some, some grids on a small basis. So maybe it's one hectare grids or maybe it's even one acre grids if you want and then match those up to yield. So if you've got a yield monitor and you can see where the yields were at across that farm, that's how we got started on this approach is matching up one acre soil grids to one acre yield response and just looking to see where did we have our yield. Did we get it? Once you once you build graphs out for each of the nutrients, you'll start to see, ooh, more of this nutrient really paid. And ooh, when I got my levels up to this high, that's where I really started crushing it for yield. Uh, I'm pretty confident on your farm, like ours, you're going to see some variance as you go throughout the field. Some areas better, some areas worse. And, and just figure out what's going on in those good areas and what are some of the things you need to, to have out there. That'll help you narrow down what your yield limiting factors are. Hey, great job. Really, really appreciate hearing the results. And hopefully uh, you can 
knock it out of the park again next year because the the prices are certainly there and the opportunity for you to make money is is really high right now. All right, got this this one in from Ian and he said I've got a, a very small one acre field. A neighbor ran a bush hog over it for one season. I burned the field another season. I didn't want to bother the neighbor again. Now I've got my own bush hog and I mowed it. I'm going to leave the cut material and just let it break down, not doing any tillage. Just need a way to water it that doesn't require flood irrigating from the irrigation district ditch. It's been building up material over the years. And now with this much material, I guess I'm going to have to disc it, plant it, and see what nature is made of. You know, it, it's interesting. The pros and cons of no-till was was our topic that Ian started commenting on. Yeah, you know, when you're going to have flood irrigation, and if you can leave that in a no-till situation, uh, it's so much more desirable to have roots there to try to hold that soil structure in place. But I get it. There's some times where maybe even if you don't want to till, you just have to do it every once in a while to, to get things turned. The other thing that you could consider, Ian, is trying to get biology working in your field. And it's only one acre, so you can, it's not like even if something cost $50 an acre, it's only 50 bucks. So you may consider it, but I look at some of the things like uh, there's a product we use called Decomp that that has just tons of bacteria in there and white rat fungi and other things that can help break those things down faster. That's been really good. And it may be something you consider rather than doing the tillage, maybe you can find a natural microbial solution to help you break that stuff down faster. If you've got a lot of plant material and you're not getting it to break down, there's something with soil health there that could potentially be improved. That would be, that'd be what I would do. That'd be my guess. All right. Uh, I get this from Tristan and, and he says, I, I listen to you guys often. I haven't heard much about Milo in Kansas. Uh, we're putting in anhydrous or, 1152 before planting. My question is, would you recommend doing a mid-season application? And if so, what would you use? Hey, thanks, Tristan. We really appreciate that. You know, the mid-season application and split applying nutrients is, is definitely something that I like. I like that concept. I'm not sure where you're at in Kansas, but I know in a lot of Kansas, it can get really dry. And if you're putting on like let's just say a, a Y drop type application where you're laying stuff on top of the ground and it stays really dry, boy, you could be subject to a lot of loss and you might not get it down in the root system where the plant can bring it up. So for me, if I've got medium to heavy ground, if I've got a decent amount of organic matter, I'm trying to get my P and K out there for sure early. In fact, I might even do it in the fall just to, to make sure that I've got it available by the time my crop needs it. As far as the nitrogen, sure, you can put some on in season two. I would recommend doing some testing to see where you're at. So I would do at least a pre-side dress nitrate test just to see where I'm at and if it's enough to carry me through the season. And, you know, that I guess that's where I would go. I don't think P and K in the middle of the season where you're at are probably going to be helpful. But on lighter soils with irrigation, certainly you could push some of that into the plant yet. But heavier ground, not irrigated, probably unlikely. So outside of uh, nitrogen, sulfur, maybe boron, leachable nutrients, I don't know if I'd be trying the in-season stuff where you're at. 
All right. Lots of questions to get through on today's program. Really appreciate all those questions. If, if you have something that you're thinking about, and a lot of times it ends up being uh, late at night and, and after you're done working for the day that, that a question pops up in your mind, no problem. We would love to help you out with that and, and at least give you another opinion. Our email box is always open. It's radio at agphd.com. You can send in soil samples or tissue tests or, or just any question that you've got, and we'll do our best to help you out. Thanks for listening to our show today. Be sure to join us again each weekday for more Ag PhD Radio.